Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. to this guy for wisdom. Well, I can't say I'm surprised at what just took place. Yesterday, I just reported, I talked about what we all know, that this judge out of Florida, she was a Trump appointee, I believe, well, she struck down the CDC's unconstitutional mask mandate extension. Remember, the Demo- you know the Democrats are the ones who kept re-upping this mask mandate. They're the ones who extended it, extended it to May 3rd. It was supposed to expire, and the Democrats came. Remember this, too. The CDC and the Democratic Party are one and the same. The CDC does not have any credibility left, which is so hilarious because part of this decision for the Democrats— now to, once again, they're going to appeal this decision. This is what I wasn't sure they were going to do. I, I was wondering with bated breath to see what the reaction from the Democrats was. Now, immediately they did not signal they were going to appeal this. And I thought that was interesting because this is not a winning campaign issue for them. People want to get back to their lives. People have gotten back to their lives for the most part in terms of there not being mask mandates in most states or cities and counties anymore. Uh, COVID essentially has has gone and disappeared, except for the occasional appearances by your Dr. Fauci types and so on and so forth, who, go, who are still going out there every so often to let the American people know, hey, COVID could still come back. They don't want to let it go completely. So now the Justice Department's going to appeal lifting the mask mandate. Now notice something. Notice something very important about what they're doing here. Now, a lot of times they will move to stay the judge's order, right? Staying it means preventing it from going through. So in this case, they're not going to seek to stay this judge's order out of Florida, which means that we can continue to go maskless on public transportation, on planes, on trains for the time being. But nonetheless, they're appealing the decision to lift the mask mandates. This is about power and authority, by the way. Look, this could have gone a couple ways. The Justice Department and the Biden administration could have not done anything. In fact, I think that would have been the smartest thing to do because this judge really got rid of a problem that the Democrats potentially faced. And what's that? The American people are tired of the mass mandates. Democrats in states have lifted the mass mandates. Democrats want to get away from this COVID insanity for the most part because politically it's become unpopular. Very unpopular. People want their lives back, especially amidst all the other turmoil out there. They can't deal with one more thing. They can't deal with the prospect of businesses being shut down again. You know, they had their their day in the sun. Well, it was two years in the sun, really. But, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. And, you know, they, they, they bamboozled the American people, creating this pandemic. Because remember, the Democrats are responsible for in the aggregate, because they're the ones who kept their foot on the gas pedal. They're the ones responsible for the shutdowns. They're responsible for the destroyed economy. And Joe Biden, with his latest stimulus checks, is directly responsible per the San Francisco Reserve Bank, who said it, pointed to it on a graph. That's the moment inflation jumped, jumped through the roof. So here we had an opportunity. So Democrats have decided to go against this. Now, this is about protecting the CDC. This is about protecting the CDC and the precedent 
that has been set since March of 2020, essentially, of saying, well, okay, Congress has given the CDC unconstitutional authority to issue these wide, uh, these sweeping regulations of the American people, these mandates. And, you know, some on the left, what they would say is, look, if they didn't challenge this, it would undermine the credibility of the CDC, which is so funny. The CDC has no credibility. What credibility does the CDC have? They have come forward and admitted enough so that every American should know from the CDC's own mouth, from those own spokespeople, that this was a great big political joke on the American people. Demanding that we wear a bunch of cloth masks on our face, for example. And now they admit, admit across the board what the science always said, which is they're worthless. Even if you look at people today saying, well, we're outraged, you know, um, you know, we, we, we think that this is putting people at risk on planes now. This is unfair. This is terrible. Should we even travel anymore? Well, they're even saying when they're being questioned, these doctors like Leah, well, I forget her name, but she's been on the circuit. And, uh, uh, and she's saying, you know, those cloth masks that we told you to work, they don't work. They don't work anymore. You got to wear at least the N95, the KN95, and so on and so forth. So I think that not appealing this would have been the smart move because it would have just eliminated an issue. It would have just disappeared in, into the ether. Nobody would blame the Democrats. It would just, but, but here's the thing. They need this as a potential political issue going forward because they don't know what to do. Remember this. They're developing strategies by the day. This is going to continue to evolve as we move closer to the midterms because the numbers are in and they're not good for Joe Biden and the Democrats. They know they're going to get beat at the polls. They're just trying to figure out what issues they can weaponize to try and save face. For example, they're hemorrhaging 35-year-olds and under. That voter base, it's gone. It's disappeared. It's peeling away from the Democrat Party. So this is why they're going to introduce, for example, loan forgiveness. Okay, vote for us and we'll get rid of your student loans. This is what I'm talking about. They're trying to target now and figure out what they can do. And the CDC masking, the shutdowns, mail-in ballots, that's really the Hail Mary. Remember, these are desperate people. You know, they used to when they would go into midterms or go into presidential elections, right? There was always a move for the Democrats to shift center, right? When they're in there, they're radical, lunatic leftists. But then when they campaigned, because they understood in the past that the majority of the American people were not a bunch of radical leftists, they weren't promoting and demanding communism, socialism, Marxism in the country. So they would pretend and run as moderates. That's why they ran Joe Biden. That's why they ran Joe Biden. Amongst other reasons, the primary one was that he was the establishment politician, the old white guy, the old guard. He wasn't a radical leftist, so he could get votes across the board. That's what they were, they were saying to themselves, right? When Bill Clinton ran for office, he ran as a moderate and then acted as a radical leftist once he got in office. But the Democrat Party has changed in the sense that they have now totally revealed themselves as proponents of this radical leftist agenda. The days of pretending to be moderates are gone. You know, there's an article today, I think it is, it's over at the Neon Nettle, for example. Elizabeth Warren. Here's the headline. This is by Jack Murphy. A headline, Warren. Democrats facing midterm bloodbath if they fail to deliver radical agenda. See? They're not running on moderation anymore. They want to deliver a radical agenda. We must tackle climate change, income inequality, systemic injustice. These are the things they've embraced. The Democrat Party has been wholly consumed, taken over by the radical left. The Warrens, the AOCs, the Bernie Sanders, they control that party. Barack Obama, too. He's a radical leftist. We know that. 
But here we go. A couple pull quotes. Democrats win elections when we show we understand the painful economic realities facing American families and convince voters we will deliver meaningful change. This is the problem for them. They are responsible for all this damage. What meaningful change can they offer? Now, look, we've seen them try and pivot. They're the party of uh, the pro-criminal party, defund the police. And then they've tried to backtrack and say Republicans are the party of defund the police. Time and time again, these policies are being proven unpopular with the American people. And remember, I think the real issue here, I think the reason it's hard to understand what's going on right now is we've never had a situation like this. And what situation am I talking about? The unprecedented shenanigans of the 2020 elections. There's always been attempts to cheat in certain states, blue states, blue counties, blue cities, but nothing to the extent that would really impact a national election like this. Not in modern American history, not in my lifetime. And so this is the issue. If you were to believe the election results of, of say, you know, 2020, 81 million votes, the most popular president in American history. Uh, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think that they have convinced themselves that this is popular, but it doesn't represent reality because the 2020 elections also don't reflect reality. The makeup of the actual United States of America. I think that Trump was more popular than Biden. And had they not had mail-in ballots, had they not been up to what they were in all these states, changing election results here and there, I do not believe that Joe Biden would be president. Now, I'm not saying that there, are, there isn't a growing, a growing number of people in the electorate who have been indoctrinated so that they believe this crap. I'm not saying that they didn't do a fairly successful job of painting Donald Trump as this killer throughout the pandemic as this Nazi-esque Hitler, I mean, they spent four years cultivating that narrative, going after Trump. But I'm saying that, despite those efforts, this country's still not a majority on board with this. And that's what we see happening here. So here go the Democrats. This is the hubris I keep talking about with this party. So they're challenging this, this, this order. They're, they're appealing it. But I think they're get, digging themselves a hole. Because what's going to happen? If this... Ruling now, if it goes to a U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, for example, and if that court sides with the judge, Catherine Mizell, who ruled the mask mandate extension on planes and trains, public transportation, unconstitutional, well, this is going to set a precedent. That's going to set a national precedent. That is going to reaffirm, if a appeals court sides with the judge, Catherine Mizell, it's going to reaffirm that the federal government doesn't have the power to issue sweeping mandates like this. And then it, and then it, so precedent is huge, right? In these cases, everyone talks about precedent, precedent. They've just got to get this case one, the Democrats, right? So they can say, oh, you know, this is how it's gone in the past. And so this is the calculation the Democrats made because Congress gave this authority to the CDC. And for the Democrats, this is all about protecting their power. They could have let this go, but they're not. Because they need the CDC, they want the CDC, and frankly, I think they want to continue to use it. I mean, they're all about bureaucratic power, right? Giving people power that is not, giving people power in the government that are not voted for by the American people. Nobody voted for the CDC. It was created by our government. This is how they go around the Constitution time and time again. Giving powers, bestowing powers upon these bureaucracies, in this case, the CDC. So... I think this is a mistake they made. 
And I think that in their minds, the Democrats probably, they're saying, look, if we decide to weaponize COVID again, if we want to go down this road and start putting cases, a running ticker on the screen, on the news screens to get people scared about COVID again, well, we can say that we tried to fight to keep these mask mandates and they will point without any scientific evidence. They'll say that this Trump appointee, that Republicans, conservatives, even though Democrats have been lifting mass mandates, calling for the end of mass mandates, even though they've said from the very beginning that actually planes, that was the safest air you could get because of the technology and so on and so forth. But they'll say, see, this Trump judge judge got people killed. This person got cases up. They're responsible for the cases. So I'm just saying everything they're doing is political. Every maneuver they're making, this is where they're going. How can they pivot and blame Republicans for something they're going to concoct in the near future. But I was trying to think of some of these other arguments that I've seen from the Democrats out there uh, about this, uh, these mass mandates. Here we go. Here's an article from Politico. This says, this is why I'm the expert on the liberal leftist mind. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Politico playbook. White House wonders to mask or not to mask. All right, so what does it say? The surprise ruling seems to have caught the White House flat-footed on the question of whether or not to appeal the ruling. Um, so here's what they say. If, if the administration doesn't appeal, it brings up an issue of credibility. It hurts the institutional authority of the CDC which they said would be central to this decision-making process. See, the, the, the Democrats don't want to lose uh, the weapon that they've gained, which is the CDC. So if they don't appeal this, it also raises the question of why the administration re-upped the mandate in the first place. But politically, it's it would have taken this issue off the table for the White House, right? So Democrats have been moving away from the mass mandates for months, saying it's time to go back to normal. And this move by the court made the decision for them. But the, but the administration did decide to appeal. And that's why I say it just, it's a matter of credibility. It reiterates the CDC's role in setting health-related pandemic policies. That's what this is really about. And politically, politically, they're creating an opportunity for themselves to, uh, well, it's a risk, actually, because Politico even is admitting that the administration is risking political blowback now on a hot political topic heading into the summer travel season, and it would give voters a clear target of who to blame for mass mandates, despite prominent Democrats' efforts to distance themselves from the unpopular, if scientifically sound, policy. I just think this is a disaster for the Democrats. But, you know, now they're attacking the judges' credibility. Don't you know? We, we just went through this with the Democrats, right? We were racist. We were terrible for, for talking about raising questions of Katanji Brown Jackson's credibility. And now what do they turn around and do? They attack the age of this judge. So she clerked for, Mizell clerked for, uh, for Justice Clarence Thomas. And I believe she's 33 years old, but I want to go. There's a New York Post headline because you're going to hear a lot of garbage saying how this is not constitutional. This judge is stupid. This judge is inexperienced. This ruling is wrong. It's not based on legality. And it is. Here's an opinion by Jacob Solomon at the New York Post. The left's attacks on Trump appointed judge who struck down mass mandate ignore the law. Exactly. Exactly. What, do the, what does the left know about the law? They know nothing about the law. They put somebody on the court 
Katanji Brown-Jackson, who would not answer the question as to whether or not we had natural rights, which is what the Constitution says explicitly. That's what the document's all about. The Bill of Rights, for example. And she says, well, I don't know. I can't say if we have a natural rights. I can't say if we have an unalienable right. Uh, what? It says it in the Constitution. So here's the left, uh, right, right, these great, brilliant minds of the Constitution who want to destroy it. So she's 35 years old, and the New York Times is, a, is one of the, of course, leftist propagandist weapons out there targeting her and attacking her age. Um, Slate legal writer Mark of Joseph Stern also is attacking her age, right, as if that has any relevancy whatsoever. So, you know, the critics are, are attacking her age rather than her reasoning, to be honest. And, and this, is, this is the confusion and the stupidity of people who think that because there's a pandemic that the, that the you know, the who or, the, or whoever in this country announces exists, well, if they think it's sensible, like masking the whole population, oh, well, then it must be legal. That's not true. They don't have unlimited power to do whatever they want based on their opinions. So Mizell was responding to a lawsuit challenging an order that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published in the Federal Register on February 3rd, 2021. She concluded that that rule, which applied to taxis and ride-sharing services, as well as airplanes, airports, and public transportation systems, exceeded the CDC's authority and violated the Administrative Procedure Act. Now, the CDC, they issued the mask mandate under a provision. This is a great article by this gentleman, Jacob Solon. But anyway, so the CDC issued this mask mandate under this provision of the 1944 Public Health Service Act, which authorizes regulations to prevent the interstate spread of communicable diseases. The law mentions inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation, pest extermination, and destruction of infected or contaminated animals or articles, as well as other measures deemed necessary. Now, when the CDC cited this same provision, this 1944 Public Health Service Act, to justify their nationwide eviction moratorium, for example, they argued that the phrase, other measures, authorizes any disease control measure it considers appropriate. And the Supreme Court rejected that, breaking, breathtaking, he says, power grab. Of course it was ridiculous. And so in light of that same principle, Mizell is saying the relevant question is whether the CDC's mask mandate qualifies as a sanitation measure as the agency contended or something similar. And she cited five reasons for rejecting that reading. The context of the nearby words, contemporaneous usage, the sweeping implications of the government's argument, the history of the provision's application, and the fact that it seems to be limited to property. She also concluded that the CDC had improperly invoked the good cause exception notice and comment requirement for new rules. Anyway, I know this is getting heady. Stick with me, though. Um, so the issue in this case was not whether it makes sense to require that travelers wear masks. It was who gets to decide that and under what legal authority, which is a question that squarely resides with the judicial branch, not with the experts at an executive agency. 
And so she has strong legal foundation for this. She's absolutely right. And they're going to continue to attack her because they need bureaucracies, unelected bureaucracies like the CDC, because everything's about federalization for the Democrats, right? They don't believe in and convincing people in the realm of public opinion. They don't like debate. They're trying to silence political opposition because their ideas can't compete. They don't have firm, a firm foundation ever to stand on. And so they want to silence debate. And they don't want states' rights to have the ability to dictate what states and localities should be doing. They want it all to come from the federal government. They want to federalize, nationalize elections. Everything is about forcing all 50 states to comply in order to increase their own power. So they do this all the time to Republicans. They find a judge in Hawaii or wherever it is to stay these orders and so on and so forth. And now that we have a Trump-appointed judge coming out and saying, no, nonsense, striking this down, none of this, they can't tolerate it. Because the only sphere they want to live in is one in which they are not ever challenged, in which they get to be the bullies and they get to run roughshod over the American people without anyone interfering with them, without anyone challenging them. So that's really what this comes down to. So you've got that issue and then you've got the, the, the midterms, right? So now they need to create another issue to run on. So they're going to stoke fear again about airplane. I mean, look, you can wear a flipping mask if you want to wear a mask. No one's forcing you not to wear a mask, but this is part of the ideology of the left too, right? They want to force everyone else to do what they say. You have to wear a mask for my safety. No, stick a mask on your own flipping face and shut up. They're not happy with that. And even though masks are unpopular and people aren't wearing them anymore, Now they want to make an issue. They want to drive a wedge in the American people. They want to politicize everything. That's what this is about. So now the argument is, you know, if you support not wearing a mask on these planes and trains and public transportation, ooh, well, you're bad. You're evil. You're selfish. You see? So this is how they come in and divide the American people and try and split us up and convince other people that people like this Trump-appointed judge are evil unlawful. And here we go again. The Democrats are the good guys. The Democrats are the saviors. This is where they go every time. And meanwhile, while the, while the Democrats are out there trying to politicize this uh, lifting of, of mask mandates by the judge out of Florida, giving us our freedom back. And did you see, by the way, these, these flight attendants and so on and so forth who are celebrating, taking their masks off midair? Everyone's so excited. You know, they've, they've got some stupid poll out now, by the way, Before I get into my next story about Crooked Hillary and what's going on with the Durham investigation, there was a, there's a poll that just happened to come out. They, they apparently conducted this poll. Let me see. I've got the story right here. A poll about the popularity of masks on planes. Does anyone believe that masking on planes is popular? It's not popular anywhere else, but somehow we're supposed to believe this is popular on airlines. So there's a new, uh, it was a poll conducted by the Associated Press and NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research. Now, this was, of course, conveniently conducted just before the judge's announcement ruled that the mass mandates on planes, trains, etc. was unconstitutional. Well, it finds this poll that despite opposition to that requirement that included verbal abuse and physical violence against flight attendants. What are they talking about? Whatever. Screw that beginning part. 56% of Americans favor 
requiring people on planes, trains, and public transportation to wear masks, compared with 24% opposed and 20% who say they're neither in favor nor... So 56% of Americans favor requiring people on planes, trains, and public transportation to wear masks? I don't buy that for a second. For a second. And you know, you've got... Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the fellow's name? He's another, another leftist kook out there. Um, ha! By the way, there's an article I've got in front of me. Nearly two-thirds of voters believe Biden is compromised by ties to China. Interesting. Um... Where is this guy? Who is he? It's not Robert Reich. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Anyway, he's out there saying that this is going to create some kind of a widespread violence and discrimination against people who wear masks. So mask mandates have been lifted everywhere else, and there's no surge in violence against people wearing masks on their face. They're not being attacked and beaten in the street because they're wearing masks. But we're supposed to believe that now, suddenly, because this mass mandate has been lifted on planes, that now we're going to have some uh, violence, harassment against people who choose to wear masks. These, these people make themselves out to be victims time and time again. I can't find the flipping article right now. I'll think of his name in a minute and I'll get back to you. But anyway, I want to get into this Durham investigation because this is fascinating to me. Do you remember... Do you remember uh, when the FBI went in and broke into the New York City offices and, uh, well, they stormed into Co- Michael Cohen? Remember, he was the one of the attorneys of Donald Trump. And the argument back then was, oh, you know, uh, you know, the, the attorney-client privilege that he's enjoyed with his lawyer, Trump, that is, his lawyer, Michael Cohen, well, that doesn't exist because, you know... Uh, there's fraud and there's terrible things going on and, and, and that doesn't exist anymore. Well, now the Democrats are claiming that same privilege, client attorney privilege, exists for Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton and her ilk. Uh, I, I just want to refresh your memory. You know, this is, this is, so Trump had this legal battle over the seized Michael Cohen documents. Remember, so the FBI broke in and seized all these Michael Cohen documents and so lawyers for both Michael Cohen and President Donald Trump, well, they had to face off with the Justice Department prosecutors in a New York courtroom back, what is this, 2017, 2018? Or was it as recently as 19? But you remember this story that broke? I'm just going from memory here. But the FBI seized all these documents from Michael Cohen in raids of his office. And Cohen's lawyers were forced to disclose the name of of, 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 for example, an apparent client of Cohen who was, he was trying to keep secret, Fox News host Sean Hannity. And this went back to the quote-unquote hush money payments, you know, the Stormy Daniels scandal, which went nowhere. In fact, Stormy Daniels ended up having to pay, <laughs> pay uh, Trump's legal fees. That's how well that went for him. Hoax after hoax with these people. But anyway, Hannity had asked Cohen for advice on matters that dealt with real estate, and Cohen hadn't been charged with any crimes, and yet, nonetheless, these people went in and seized all these documents. And so the Justice Department back then, these, these are the, 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 these, these hitmen, right? The, the mob, the mafia in the Southern District of New York, those U.S. attorney offices, well, they were planning to review the seized evidence uh, trying to find, you know, some kind of criminal 
behavior that Trump was up to. I mean, this was a total breakdown of the justice system. And Donald Trump, remember, back when he was allowed on Twitter, uh, he said attorney-client privilege is dead. And, for example, you know, communications that weren't about legal advice, those wouldn't be shielded. Communications that included people other than just the attorney and his client would not necessarily also be shielded. Communications in which the attorney helped the client commit a crime or fraud wouldn't be privileged communication. But, you know, they didn't have any evidence of any of this, but they went and seized these documents anyway, looking for these types of connections that we know never existed. There was no evidence of any kind of, of, of all these things they were claiming, right? If it wasn't about legal advice, you know, that's fair game. If it's not about, you know, if, 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 if the attorney and whatever were up to no good in, involved in crimes or fraud, that wouldn't be attorney, you know, subject to uh, the benefits of attorney-client privilege. But there wasn't evidence of this, but they seized the documents anyway and poured through it looking for all that stuff. Well, now guess what you've got? We've got the smoking gun with the Hillary Clinton campaign, right? Fusion GPS. They are the one, remember this, simplify it for you. Hillary Clinton, the DNC, they went through Perkins Coy, a law firm, right, legal services, and used them to funnel money to Fusion GPS, which was an opposition research firm. Now, Fusion GPS, now they're claiming because, look, Durham and his people want to get emails and everything that are, that are related to Fusion GPS, Mark Elias, the Perkins Coy law firm, because we know that the, the, the reason they employed Perkins Coy and Fusion GPS had nothing to do with legal advice. It had to do with the hit job, the planning of evidence that was going to link Donald Trump somehow to the Alpha Bank in Russia. It doesn't matter because it's stupid to try and accuse him of being some you know, Russian colluder, working with Putin to steal the 2016 election. So now Fusion GPS is claiming that they were retained to provide legal advice. But back in August of 2017, Glenn Simpson, who was a co-founder of Fusion GPS, well, he testified to the Senate Judiciary Committee that they were retained to gather lots of facts about Donald Trump. He admitted they were retained for opposition research. But now they're desperate. They don't want any of these emails. Because here, let, let me make an analogy for you. Well, it's not even an analogy. It's happening right now. January 6th, what was that about? They were trying to tie Donald Trump to the quote-unquote fake insurrection. So they got a hold of all the text messages and so on and so forth, desperately looking for some kind of text message that was going to say, like from Donald Trump, yeah, yeah, we got to keep the insurrection going. We've got to overturn the election results. We've got to get in there and violently harm Congress. None of that happened, but they still got a hold of those text messages. But we know, as a matter of fact, from the Durham investigation, that Fusion GPS, the Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC, Perkins Coy, they were involved, were involved in a conspiracy. And yet, despite that, now they want to fight us getting those emails. So when Donald Trump, it's obvious he's not involved in any kind of quote-unquote insurrection, well, they still go and get his text messages, get access to his emails and so on and so forth, fight like hell for that, and they get it. But now when we have an obvious case that doesn't have to be made up, it's not concocted, it's not fabricated, we know what took place, now they're trying to keep those from the public's eye. So they're desperate to keep these emails and documents secret. They've actually filed motions to prevent this from coming to light from these coming into the hands of Durham and his team. They're citing attorney-client privilege. Now, attorney-client privilege, right, is about legal advice. So all these things, back in whenever this was with the Cohen stuff, when Donald Trump tweeted that attorney-client privilege is dead. Well, here we have, have them 
citing attorney-client privilege. I mean, it's just thick with these people, thick. Where was this when they went after Trump? They weren't citing attorney-client privilege. They were saying what I just said. Well, you know, communications that aren't about legal advice, well, that's not attorney-client privilege. Communications in which an attorney helps the client commit a crime or fraud rather than giving legal advice, well, that wouldn't be privileged. And now we know these people weren't involved in any legal advice, and they're citing client, attorney-client privilege. Karma's a B, ain't it? Karma's a B. Robbie Mook, crooked Mook, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. Well, now he's saying that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just, all of this, it was legal services and advice. Mark Elias, ditto. All of them scrambling, saying, no, 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 no. It was all, it was all just legal advice. That's all we were hired for. I mean, these people are such filthy liars. And this is why they went through Perkins Coy, the law firm, to pay Fusion GPS for the Trump dossier, for example. The pretext of legal work to shield what they were actually up to so they could cite attorney-client privilege. But here we go. Here we go. Right there. And I, I, I have reason to believe, I'm hopeful that these documents are going to be obtained and it's going to be earth-shattering. Shake the foundations of this country and the Democratic Party to see these text messages, these emails, these document exchanges between the Hillary Clinton people and Perkins Coy and Fusion GPS admitting what we already know. And that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, there's nothing this can reveal that we don't already know. It's just more of the same. And I think the American people are getting tired of sitting here waiting for something to happen. But it is a slow process, and we have to remain hopeful that it's going to result in something. But the Democrat Party, I don't know if you saw the story. Um, Taylor Lorenz, she wrote a hit piece in the, uh, well, she doxed the libs of TikTok account holder. I'm not going to mention her name now. You can go and look it up now, but she wrote this piece. So libs of TikTok who post literal videos of liberals. So liberals post these videos on TikTok, grooming, talking about how they're trying to, to, you know, make uh, pedophilia the norm. Well, she, she just reposts these videos of liberals on Twitter, for example, libs of TikTok. So she finds videos that liberals have posted and then she doesn't edit them. She just puts them on Twitter and lets the videos speak for themselves. And it's revealing a couple of things. One, what your children are being shown and exposed to. And they don't want that. They don't want their agenda. I mean, have you ever seen people who are so proud of what they stand for, so proud of being a Democrat, and yet they don't want you ever to see what they say? They want to obscure their agenda, hide what they say, hide their comments, hide their public personas. I mean, if it's so great, if the grooming's great, if there's nothing to worry about, if it's a good thing that these people stand for, grooming children, teaching children about sexuality, why not promote it yourselves? Why not put it out there and celebrate yourself? Because they know it's sick and perverted. And they've, they've, they've been getting away with it for a long time. And so this account holder lives with TikTok exposed him. So they kicked her off of Twitter for posting one video of a liberal talking for themselves and cited it was hate speech. Go figure. Twitter, right? Wow. So I reposted a video of a liberal unedited and that's hate speech. Incredible. So they kicked her off, suspended her account. She got back on, but that threat didn't go far enough. She didn't self-censor. And she went on Tucker Carlson show, actually, and said, I'll never back down. And that's what this doxing is about. Whenever censorship fails, when you can't get someone to self-censor by a basic threat like that, letting someone know they could take their account away and so on and so forth, well, now they go into doxing. Doxing. Before the Washington Post edited the piece, they actually had publicly posted her address, I believe, 
and other personal information. Now, they, they pulled that down quickly, but it was already out there for people to have screen grabbed and so on and so forth. But they still, this Taylor Lorenz person actually went to her relative's house, the owner, the account holder of Libs of TikTok, to ask them questions, harassing them. And now there's been immense blowback against the left, against Taylor Lorenz. And now she's claiming to be a victim. And as a matter of fact, it's immensely ironic because just a week or two before Taylor Lorenz chose to dox this person, share her anonymous identity with the world to, to, to place a target on her back and make her the recipient of leftist hatred and death threats. Well, she was on the news complaining about how hard it is to be in the news business like her, writing these articles, the attacks you come under. And then what does she do? She turns around and doxes this person. How would Taylor Lorenz feel if we doxed her? If I was to announce to my audience right now which are listening in all four corners of the United States of America and Canada and Great Britain, if I was going to give her personal address, her family's address, her phone numbers, her information, all addresses where we could all go knock on her door and make her fear for her life. And apparently this person, the Libs of TikTok account holder who did nothing wrong, who's the real victim here, she's in hiding in some safe location because of the threats that are coming her way. But now Taylor Lorenz and the leftist media is circling the wagons, trying to make her out to be the victim. She's the victim. Don't you know? This is how the Democrats act. But here's the thing. They like to play with fire, but they can't take the heat. And this is encouraging and optimistic as well. These people are such wimps, such cowards, such pansies. They cannot take it. And we got to give it back to them. I'm not saying we dox these people, but I'm just saying we got to keep the heat on because they fold under pressure. Their whole, they are so weak mentally. This is like the Twitter people. They can't take any kind of resistance. The liberal Democrats in Congress, Joe Biden, they can't take criticism. They are weak. They are weak. Can you imagine what would happen to Joe Biden if he was treated by the media like Donald Trump was day in and day out? He would not be president right now. He'd be in some hospital because he couldn't take the pressure. He'd have a brain aneurysm. I'm not wishing that. I'm just saying. A few people could stand up like Trump did to that kind of pressure. He had to deal with this every day. We have to deal with it every day. And honestly, it makes us stronger people if we just step out and start speaking because we're forged in fire. We're ready for this. We can stand up to it. We're used to it. But the left, they can't. Their lives depend upon censorship, bullying, and everything else. All right. I remember the name. Paul Krugman, New York Times writer, columnist. Paul Krugman, the the uh, deplorable Krugman there. So he's the one who is warning, arguing that as a result of lifting the mass mandate on flights, well, there's going to be... He's predicting violence towards mask wearers. So, so this is great. So uh, here, a prediction about masking, he tweets out, soon we'll be seeing many incidents in which those who choose to protect themselves with KN95s, etc., face harassment, even violence, because this was never about freedom. What a genius. What a genius, Paul. Um, it's, so this is great. So this is Paul Krugman, right? Another example of them projecting, look, all the violence and the harassment comes from the left. I just talked about the story about that Washington Post loser, Taylor Lorenz, who actually put a target, revealed the identity, revealed the the location, where she works, in order to 
silence her, to threaten her. I mean, that's the only reason you reveal the location of someone's home that you don't like politically. That's why you do this. And here they are claiming that people on the right are somehow going to be attacking people. Well, I just saw a video in real time here on MSNBC. There's a doctor they have on MSNBC, Dr. Patel. She says to carry extra masks on planes and force your neighbor to wear one. Who is it that is promoting harassment and violence? Now, nobody on a plane is going to sit there next to somebody wearing a mask and rip it off their face and spit in their face. They're not going to harass them. They're not going to have any violence. They're going to sit there and mind their own business. All of the harassment and violence is going to come from this COVID cult, these these mask-wearing cultists. And here is MSNBC giving a platform to a doctor who is telling people, directing them, carry extra masks on planes so you can force your neighbor to wear one. Well, if that's not harassment, I don't know what is. Let's end with this. Did you hear Biden? Uh, He talked about how he was the poorest man in Congress. I mean, it's just rich. The lack of self-awareness for these people, especially Joe Biden. But the Democratic Party, and this is the problem, it's finally coming back to bite them. They can't get away with this anymore. They've been exposed. All their lies about how people on the right are the rich people controlling Wall Street, that's not true. Vanguard, BlackRock, Twitter, all these different corporations, Bill Gates, all these proponents of lockdowns and everything else, they're on the left. The oligarchs in America are on the left. They're in our corporations and they're in our government and they are all compromised. Like I just told you, two-thirds of voters out there believe that Joe Biden is compromised with regards to China. Two-thirds. That's huge. They cannot hide anymore. This is out there and they're digging a grave because they will not change course. They've decided to embrace the radical leftist agenda and that's where they're going to go. They've, they've tied their fate to it and it's like an anchor and it's going to bring the ship sinking below the surface of of the ocean. Um, so Biden gave this speech, I guess it was in New Hampshire, uh, at the Port Authority in Port, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And he, uh, he said, I had the great pleasure of being listed as the poorest man in Congress. I didn't think you should make money while you're in office. Can you imagine having this scandal going on right now with a Hunter Biden laptop, 10% for the big guy, all of this, Two-thirds of Americans believe, in the most recent poll, that Joe Biden is compromised because of his business dealings and his son's business dealings with China. And he has the audacity to go out there and claim, I didn't think you should make money while you're in office, when he's made all of his money because of being in office. I don't think you should be making, you should make money while you're in office. I mean, this is the thing, you know, he's trying to, this is his whole shtick, right? The Democrats in general, trying to, make themselves appear to the American people that they feel for them. They relate to them. They can't relate at all. These people have been in Congress getting paid with our tax dollars, hosing us, making business deals on the side, at our expense, leading to them them being compromised. Meanwhile, we're suffering under inflation. Congress votes themselves raises to offset inflation. I mean, this is the world we live in, and the American people are waking up. Black, LGBTQIA+, brown, doesn't matter. Everyone is looking at these people, and we're sick of it. We're ready to rise up. We're done with this garbage. We see who these politicians are. And this is the thing. And this is what I want the Republican Party to be because it can, has been, must be again. A big, broad tent that embraces everyone who believes in the Constitution, believes in values, and believes that 
The American citizen, the individual, has rights. That we are sick and tired of the government robbing us, enriching themselves, while they pass and implement policies that destroy our lives. That's what's going on. I mean, Hunter Biden admitted that he used his father's office for personal gain. He said back uh, in 2019, I think it was, it's impossible for me to be on any boards without saying that I'm without saying that I'm the son of the vice president of the United States. Lots of things would not happen in my life if my name wasn't Biden. Uh, hello, hello. And let's not forget the 10% for the big guy in the emails from foreign business dealings. Hunter Biden was trading on his father's name to make a lot of money, paying bills for his father. His father's got all these homes. He spends most of his time out of the White House in Delaware at one of his many mansions, has all these homes all across the country. He's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars because of corruption. And he has the audacity to stand there and say he didn't think you should make money while you're in office. Well, what changed, Joe? What changed? At what point in office did you change your mind? When did that take place? Because the American people are sick and tired of this. You know, the Democrats have nothing to offer. Nothing to offer. And when I was mentioning, for example, that poll that's come out and says that, oh yeah, 50-something, 6% of Americans or whatever, a majority, believe that masks should be required on planes and public transportation, I don't buy that for a second. This is the media's attempt again, a concerted effort, the Democrats using the media to reshape reality. It's not reality, it's what they want you to think reality is. So they want you to sit here and not fight for your freedom. They want you to feel ashamed. They want you to voluntarily stick a mask on your face still out of respect for everyone else. You know what? People didn't get on planes because they didn't want to wear a mask. It was uncomfortable for them. It was a joke. Everyone saw through it from the very beginning. Those of, those of us who were sane. And those of us who weren't ahead of the curve, most of us woke up and realized it a long time ago anyway. They want us to believe masks are popular. They are not. They want us to believe the Democrat Party policies are popular. They are not. Nothing that is happening is real. This is still a conservative country, and we need to act like it. We cannot act like we are the minority. We cannot be the silent majority. We definitely can't be the silent minority. We all have to embrace the truth, the reality, that this country belongs to us. And these people are living in our world, and they're not going to come in and tell us how to live. So nobody's going to sit next to me on a plane when my mask's not on my face and hand me a box of masks and demand that I put it on my face. That's not how we roll. Not the new right, not the new conservatives that see where this country's headed, and we're standing up, and we're saying enough is enough. We're taking our country back. We're reducing you to the silent minority again. You can be humiliated. You can be ridiculed. Because what you want is amoral, what you want is sick, what you want is selfish. It is selfish for a person to come on a plane and demand that you wear a mask to make them comfortable. No, no. They're in control of their life. Wear a mask if you want. Don't get in my space and tell me what to do with my life. You go home and live how you want, but don't you project and force your stupidity on the rest of us. Because we're the party of intolerance when it comes to this type of behavior from now on. That's where we are. We're fighting. And that's, what, uh, that's why Ron DeSantis is so popular. Ron DeSantis is a great American. He's a family man, and he's fighting back. He held a special session in the Senate there in Florida that's going to remove that, that special status that Disneyland enjoys. Well, it's Florida, so I guess it's Disney World 
technically, but this is from The Hill. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has taken his battle with Disney a step further, announcing at a press briefing on Tuesday that the state's legislature will consider terminating the special status of the Reedy Creek Improvement District that administers much of Walt Disney World. The special status which Disney has had since 1967 gave the company the legal right to operate under its own government around Walt Disney World in Central Florida. DeSantis appeared to support eliminating Disney's special status that allows it to operate as an independent government in the area around its Orlando Park earlier this month. So, he's fighting back. I'll have to, I'll have to do another episode on what that actually means for Disney uh, and how that's going to affect them and impact them. But the point is, he's not going to tolerate a company that's hostile to Floridians, hostile to what they want, who's going to behave this way and give them special privileges. And that's exactly what we have to do. There have to be consequences for this type of un-American behavior, for this hijacking of our culture, for this open, open and intense effort by the left in this country to reshape this country into a world that none of us want to live in. We're tired of being held hostage by a radical minority of lunatics on the left, And we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to sit here and listen to Taylor Lorenz claim to be a victim while she doxes, reveals the identity and the address of somebody who is exposing liberals and what they're up to. We're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to sit here and and feel sympathy for Taylor Lorenz. You know, you make decisions, you take actions, and you have to bear the consequences. You have to answer. You have to be responsible. And that's the difference in conservatism and leftism. Every, everything they do, they're always victims. They hide behind this vi- mask of victimhood. No more. Accept the consequences. Everything they do, you know, they don't want to take responsibility for. They can be bullies. They can light things on fire, but then they can't take the heat. So DeSantis is leading the charge, and that's good news for us. All right, this wraps up uh, this episode of the Drew Allen Show, the 85th episode. By the way, 85 episodes, and we've grown to thousands and thousands of listeners. God bless you all. Until next time.